So for example, for bipolar disorder, a lot of the disorder has to do with your own body rhythms, um, your circadian rhythms, they're called. Bipolar disorder actually affects that in your brain. So what you want to do as a person with bipolar is actually try to um, maintain a very strict schedule that you can control because your body is not naturally going to create one for you. Hi, this is Shinobu Salsen, the host of the Teenage Impact Podcast, where we share stories, tips, and strategies on how to overcome your daily struggles as a teenage kid. I interview people from all around the world who are making an impact, and we talk about teenage mental health. Different topics include anxiety, depression, bullying, uh, suicidal thoughts, bipolar disorder, eating disorder, dwarfism, anything you could think of. We talk about it because we want to help you overcome your struggles. If you know someone who's in this funk, can't seem to get out of it, your classmate, your friend, your family member, share the Teenage Impact Podcast because it's the best podcast out there to help you get out of this funk and help you realize your your potential to make an impact. If you're tuning in for the first time on Apple Podcasts, please rate and review because I'm trying to get ranked higher so I can impact more teens. Today's podcast guest is Natasha Tracy. Natasha Tracy is an award-winning writer, speaker, and consultant who offers her insight into living with bipolar disorder her entire life and also has more than a decade of mental illness research. Natasha was diagnosed with bipolar disorder at 19, but had symptoms much, much earlier. She had a rough childhood. She fell into this serious depression and wanted to kill herself. She started self-harming by the age of 12. Her parents got divorced, found out her dad was an alcoholic who also had bipolar disorder. So in today's episode, she's going to go into, she's going to give insights into someone's life with bipolar disorder and depression and how you can overcome it. Give it up for Natasha Tracy. Hi, Natasha. Really pleasure for having you on. Thank you so much. It's great to be here. Yeah, I I ran across you on, on, on some article as one of the top mental health bloggers. And, you know, I thought you would be someone interesting to interview. So I decided to have you on. <laughs> Thank you so much. And before we actually go on uh, with your own story, let's educate some of our listeners a little bit. Can you explain to the listeners what bipolar disorder is, some of the symptoms and misconceptions about it? Sure. So bipolar disorder is what we basically call a serious mental illness. So that's um, an illness of the brain is that's what a mental illness is. Unlike some people who, you know, most people are walking around and they have a functioning brain. For me, my brain actually has some issues. There are actually some parts of my brain that are shrunken compared to someone else's brain. We do see changes in a bipolar brain on a scan, for example. And bipolar disorder is about having very high moods and very low moods. So those very high moods are known as hypomanias or manias, and the low moods, of course, are known as depression. So in order to be diagnosed with bipolar disorder, you must have exhibited both of those kinds of moods. We also tend to have a mood called a mixed mood, and in a mixed mood, both the high and the low symptoms can be present at the same time. 
for a high mood, for example, what you do tend to see is a lot of energy and um, a lack of self-regulation. So for example, something you might see in a person with bipolar disorder is them going out and spending $10,000 on handbags, for example, that they can't afford. That might be something that you would do on a manic spree, for example. And then of course, when you're depressed, um, it's pretty much the opposite. You have very, very low energy and you may not want to get out of bed. You likely are sleeping a whole lot of hours, although sometimes people sleep no hours. And it can be very, very debilitating. So for people with bipolar disorder, while they do experience both those highs and lows, they actually experience more lows statistically than highs. For a person with bipolar disorder, they do experience more major depressions than manias. Gotcha. And, and what are some misconceptions about it? Yeah, so I think the biggest misconception about people with bipolar disorder is that we're violent. And this is not necessarily the case at all. People with bipolar disorder who are treated are no more violent than anyone else. Now, if you take a person with bipolar disorder who also has a substance use disorder, that person has an increased likelihood of violence. That is true. But your average person with bipolar disorder who's being treated is has your average level of aggressiveness just like anyone else does. Okay. Now you were diagnosed with bipolar disorder at 19, but you mentioned that you had symptoms early on in life. So what were some of those symptoms and how far back in your earlier memories do you remember having those symptoms? So I remember symptoms that I now attribute to um, bipolar disorder from when I was a child. And so the symptoms that I personally remember are those high moods. And so for me, those are called hypomanias. They're not as extreme as some people. So they're not called manias. They're called hypomanias, which means a little less than mania. And what I remember was when, for example, I'd have a friend over, say I was like 10 years old, I'd have a friend over just like everyone else, and I would become incredibly energetic and run around and not stop talking and be really giddy. What I remember the most was that I didn't want the person to leave. I was desperate for them not to leave because what happened was I would have this really excited experience while they were there. But then when they left, I felt absolutely abysmal horrible. I now realize that this type of mood fluctuation is typical in bipolar disorder. So I'd actually experienced symptoms of depression when my friend left. So that high, high energy would then result in that low, low problem when the child actually left. And I would be begging them to stay because I didn't want that to happen. I also remember walking on the property. We had a lot of property when I was a child. And I remember being, again, what I now know is depression. I would feel so lonely and lost and worthless. And I just, I really felt like a piece of trash, quite frankly. And as say a nine-year-old child, that just isn't normal. You did say you did have a pretty rough childhood. You went to a serious depression had low self-esteem starting at the age of 12. You became um, self-harming, wanted to die. Can you tell us your story behind this? Yes. As I said earlier, when I was a child, I did experience those things, but I had no idea what they were. 
And then by the time I was 12 years old, um, my life had become very difficult in terms of things that it was going on in my life. So my parents were getting a divorce. I was informed that my father was an alcoholic and I didn't know that up until that time. The fact that he was an alcoholic did explain a lot of his behavior. He was you know, mostly an absent father. And later on, I would learn that he actually had been diagnosed with bipolar disorder as well. But again, I didn't know that at the time. So all of the trouble that was in my life at that time was due to a lot of what was going on. And that really catapulted my mood symptoms. So at that point, I became very seriously depressed and even suicidal. And at 12 years old, it was the first time that I ever harmed myself. I did it because I was so depressed and I did feel so worthless. I felt like there was no way to get out of that. And I feel like I really deserved the self-harm, again, because I was depressed but didn't realize it. And that actually led to many years of self-harm where I would feel really terrible and I would take it out on myself in that way. You know, I've interviewed actually several people, multiple people who's done self-harm as a, as a teen and everyone does it for, you know, a different reason. One girl I interviewed, she used to do self-harm because she never felt anything Mm -hmm. and cutting herself was a way to actually feel something like the hurt and the pain. And other people do self-harm because they want to die. And other people want to do self-harm because they beat themselves up. What was, you know, you went through a series of multiple years where you were doing self-harm. What was that turning point where you said, you know what, enough is enough? Yeah, that's a really good question. I mean, I think that when I finally started getting like taking responsibility for my own mental health when I was 19 or 20. And I finally started seeing a psychiatrist and I finally started seeing a counselor who was aware of what bipolar disorder and depression really were. When all those things came together and I finally could start taking responsibility for my own mental health as an adult, I think that actually was my turning point was, okay, I I need to stop these negative behaviors. I need to stop these negative coping skills and try to replace them with positive coping skills. You know, when I was younger, when I was a teenager, I didn't know any different, to be honest with you. And it wasn't until I was older that I realized I really could fight it. And I did have a choice. And how did your suicide thoughts and bipolar disorder, how did that affect you in school? As a teenager, you know, I was actually a pretty intelligent kid and I did really well in school initially but as I became a teenager my grades did slip and certainly that was because of majorly uh, depressed symptoms. I was extremely sad and I was extremely tired and I would skip school because I hated it and it wasn't the school that I hated per se it was just that I hated everything And that was part of my depression, was to hate everything. I would not go to class and sometimes wouldn't actually complete assignments. I was very lucky in that I did have enough innate knowledge that I could get through the classes and get a decent grade and actually get into university. But that was luck. You know, it was because I do have a certain amount of inborn intelligence. And unfortunately, I mean, many people aren't in that situation. Many people can skip class and appear to be screw-ups, 
but really what's going on for them is they're experiencing some major emotional turmoil and they can't handle it. And that's why they're doing that. That's why I did it. And that's why a lot of other people do it as well. You know, like I said, I was lucky, but it doesn't always turn out that way. Before, before you actually got to the point where you got professional help, what were some of the things you did to try to alleviate uh, the pain that you're going through besides the self-harm? Unfortunately, I didn't have any really good positive coping techniques. I did um, things like I did major food restrictions, so Mm -hmm. caloric restrictions. I did that. Sometimes I would drink as a teenager. That's also a really negative coping skill. I did see counselors during that time. That's a positive coping skill. And so I did have that kind of help available to me. And I am very thankful for that because it meant that things didn't necessarily get any worse. But unfortunately, other than that, I didn't really have what I would consider to be positive coping skills like I do today. Okay. Now you went to get professional help and now you're actually making an effort to try to get better and taking measures into your own hands. What are some of the best coping mechanisms you implement today? So one of the things that I do a lot of in my day-to-day life is I actually implement a lot of what they call cognitive behavioral therapy skills. And people who are going through really major emotional turmoil, I encourage them to look up cognitive behavioral therapy. It's shortened to CBT. A skill that I use all the time has to do with applying my own logic to a given situation rather than my emotions to a situation because my emotions can be really messed up because of an illness, but I can still use logic on top of that to make good decisions. For example, something can happen, something really simple might happen to me when I was younger. Like for example, I'd be heading to school and I would miss the bus. That's not a really big deal. But for me at the time, if I was really depressed, I would beat myself up about that. I would feel terrible about it. I would feel like the whole world was terrible and that it was all my fault. But because I now have the ability to use better coping tools, I can look at that situation in a logical light. And I can say, look, this is a small thing. It's a small part of my day. It's a tiny part of my week. I can get through this. I can take the next step. I can take the next bus. I can walk. I can do whatever I need to do and get through the situation. But this isn't my fault. And I'm not a bad person because this happened. And it's that type of self-talk that I use that implements this logical self-talk. And that's really important for me to get through the things that would normally send me spiraling emotionally. I can stop that from happening now. If you can go back and go to maybe when you were 15, 16, or even younger, what would you tell your younger self? Oh my gosh. I think the first thing that I would tell my younger self if I could is that what she was going through is not her fault and that she was not a screw up and she was not crazy. I would tell that to my younger self and I would give her a hug because to be honest, I felt so bad about myself. I felt so bad about what I was going through, how I felt about it. I just felt like I wasn't even a person, um, that I was this 
creature that didn't act and think like other people did. I would say to her, you are just like everyone else. You're just dealing with a brain disorder that other people don't have. And I would tell her that it will get better because certainly at that time, I didn't think it ever would, but it did. And it does for everyone, but it takes time and it takes effort and it takes help. Absolutely. And just to kind of build off of that, when, you, when you're younger, you're always looking at your flaws, you know, what you don't yes. have compared to what everyone else has. You know, I didn't know this because when I was younger, I always used to pick out all my flaws that I was going through. I wasn't good at speaking. I wasn't good at sports. I wasn't good at reading. So I, I picked out all my sports and I compared myself to some of the other students. But as I grew older, I realized uh, I heard some of my friends' stories who are battling something else. So everyone seems like they have this perfect life. But in reality, everyone's facing some demon. Everyone is facing some challenge. Everyone is facing something. And you just have to do your best and to deal with your own problems in a positive way versus thinking, oh, this person doesn't have it. I'm the only one that's going through a certain challenge. But it's a situation you can't control. But the only thing you can't control is how you act or react to the situation. I agree completely. Um, mm-hmm. I totally agree with that. Sometimes we're in situations yeah. and they can be really negative and they can be really terrible and they can be powerful, but we still have choices about how we react to them. I totally agree with you there. Yeah, and how can, how can someone who's fighting bipolar disorder at a very young age, you know, maybe their parents are getting divorced. Maybe they have alcoholic parents. They're just blaming themselves for every single little thing. Maybe they're trying self-harm methods. What would you tell those people? I think the most important thing that someone who is battling that can do is get professional help who is the people who are experienced especially people who are experienced in helping young people because if you as a 15 year old see a psychiatrist who doesn't normally see 15 year olds your help is not going to be nearly as good as someone who normally works with teenagers for example and certainly for children it's even more true if you have a child who's 10 years old and they're experiencing massive mood shifts and you want to know what's going on you need to talk to someone who's familiar with that age group and can help you with that so if i saw a 15 year old i would say look you need to get professional help in whatever way that looks like for you because because dealing with something like bipolar disorder or depression is a very it's a very big demon and it's a very scary situation and you can't handle it on your own you are strong and you are powerful but the problem is so is the disease and so you need to get people in your corner who can help you and fight back and does would you recommend a high school counselor A high school counselor is a really good place to start. So, um, for example, if you were 15, that might be your only access to mental health care at that time. And if that's your only access, then you use that access. 
But ideally, what you want to do is go from a school counselor to someone who's more qualified. Because a school counselor might be really good at handling certain situations, like certain um, academic situations, maybe bullying situations. There are things that, that school counselors handle very well. But in my experience, they do not handle brain disorders very well. And for that, you need actual medical care. So hopefully, you can go from a school counselor who can recommend someone in the community who can help you with that more severe disorder. Were you ever bullied as a kid? I am extremely lucky and I can honestly say that I was not. It's not part of my history and I feel deeply for people who were in that situation. Uh -huh. What if someone is ashamed of them because they're getting bullied for it? What would they do? So and I like think, they don't want to get help because they're afraid to open up. So I think that everyone is afraid to open up. Uh -huh. I was afraid and I think everyone is afraid. And certainly if you are in a bullying situation, yeah, you are going to be afraid to open up and that's totally normal. And the issue is that while you are afraid and that is normal, you still need to do it in order to get help. You see, what I tell people all the time is that no one can help you if they don't know there's a problem. And the thing is, you need help. Like I said, you're a strong and powerful human being, but you still need people to support you when you're fighting something big. And we all need that. Adults, teens, children, absolutely everyone. Bipolar is, it's a brain disorder, something you cannot control. Um, how would you manage these symptoms every time they come? The biggest thing for me with bipolar disorder uh -huh. is that I have to make sure and maintain help with a psychiatrist and take my medication. That's the most important thing that I can do on a daily basis. But once I do that, there are many other things to do as well. So for example, for bipolar disorder, a lot of the disorder has to do with your own body rhythms, um, your circadian rhythms, they're called. Bipolar disorder actually affects that in your brain. So what you want to do as a person with bipolar is actually try to um, maintain a very strict schedule that you can control because your body is not naturally going to create one for you. So for example, I go to bed at the same time every night and I wake up at the same time every morning. No matter what, weekend, weekday, holiday, doesn't matter because that's really important for my brain, for my brain wellness. Now, if I'm doing everything I can, if I'm exercising and eating right and maintaining a schedule and taking my medication, sometimes symptoms still pop up and so when that happens, you know, it's important that I reach out to my psychiatrist so that he knows what's going on, but also to the people around me, the people who support me, my loved ones, because they can help me get through the rough patches as well. You know, I have some really trusted people in my life who love me who I can actually open up to them and say, I'm struggling right now and I need your help. So I need you to come visit me, or I need to have a phone conversation, or I need to have a text conversation even, you know, whatever I need to get through that moment um, so that I can get to the next moment where things are going to be more bearable. Are there any, any online communities out there? 
teens can have access to? There absolutely are online communities. I'm sorry, I'm not the best person to ask for all of them, but what I will say is that the Trevor Project is a really positive resource for people who are dealing with gender and sexuality issues. The Trevor Project has um, online support and chat support and text support, all kinds of support on their website for anyone who's going through those issues gender and sexuality, I highly recommend they take a look at the Trevor Project. As for other teens going through challenges, yes, there are many other uh, resources as well. You have a book out, correct? That's correct. And can you tell us a little bit about, about it? So my book is called Lost Marbles, Insights into My Life with Depression and Bipolar. And this book outlines not only what it is to live with bipolar disorder or depression, it tries to really delve into what it's like to be inside my brain. And then it talks about coping skills for how to battle what's going on inside my brain. So it's everything from, you know, how a person with bipolar disorder or depression typically thinks, you know, what are the errors in thinking that a person like me would make that your average person would not make. There's a chapter on suicide because, of course, suicide and suicide attempts touches us deeply. It's up to half of people with bipolar disorder will attempt suicide. So it is incredibly important that people with bipolar or depression learn about that subject and learn about how to fight suicide and suicide attempts. And then I also have a large section at the back that talks about how to treat bipolar disorder and how to treat depression and how to do like a first line treatment and a second line treatment and so forth. So that no matter where you are in your treatment, you never get to the place where you just say, well, clearly nothing works. I'm going to give up because the whole message is you're never done. You don't need to give up. Even if a doctor gives up on you, and I've had two doctors give up on me, even if you have a doctor give up on you, you never give up on yourself. Absolutely. Absolutely. Do never give up. No matter how hard it gets, there are people out there who have struggled, face the same struggles you have. There are people out there that wanted to give up but didn't give up and now inspiring thousands and thousands of people around the world like Natasha is on how to overcome these challenges. And thank you for the work you're doing. And how did you get into blogging and inspiring people? It's actually sort of funny. I started writing sort of spontaneously because I read someone else's work and I really liked it. And I thought I'd just toy around with writing and see if I was any good at it because I had never done any writing before. And I thought that I might be good, but I also thought I might be really bad. So I thought I'd give it a try and see what happened. And it did turn out that I do have talent in that area. Again, very lucky. And I was anonymous on the internet for a number of years writing about bipolar and depression a small community started to build around what I was writing and it was really quite amazing. And I was told by someone who read me all the time that I was saving people's lives with my work. And to be honest with you, I did not believe him when he told me that. But over time, the experiences that I've had with people have led me to believe that, yeah, my work really does help people. 
And then in 2009, I actually got laid off from a really big fancy job and I couldn't find new work. A friend of mine said to me, he said, you should be a writer. And I said, I can't be a writer. I don't know anything about being a writer. And he said, it's really easy to be a writer. All you do is print up business cards that say writer on the front of them. That's what I did. <laughs> I just printed up business cards. And then I started applying for work on Craigslist and eventually managed to build a following and a client base. And yeah, eventually became a, a serious full-time professional writer and speaker. That's awesome. Where have you spoken at so far? Lots of places, actually. So I've sp spoken at many conferences, like for the National Council and Mental Health America. And I've spoken at many corporate events. I've spoken at special interest group events. And so basically, uh, a lot of people, uh, learning institutions, for example, have had me. And it's just uh, people who are looking for lived experience. So people who really have personal first-person experience with an illness, they're looking for that perspective, plus someone who is a subject matter expert on bipolar disorder and depression. So I can stand in front of them and I can say, look, this is what I went through. This is my personal experience. And here's a little bit more to learn about this illness. Then, of course, I take questions. And often those are the most interesting things of all because I can help people who have family members who may have bipolar disorder or depression, and then people themselves, people who have friends, all that kind of stuff. So, yeah, I speak at conferences that focus on all of that. That's awesome. That's awesome. Do you have any last tips for someone who, is, who has bipolar disorder? and wants to um, alleviate the symptoms and wants to really overcome it? I think it's really important to know that I truly believe that anyone can overcome and live with bipolar disorder. Now, the way you live with bipolar disorder might not be the way I live with bipolar disorder, but you will find your own version of normal, your own way of living with this disorder. And I think it's really important to realize that some people with bipolar disorder are going to go on to live lives that are very similar to everyone else. They're going to have families, they're going to have jobs, they're going to have houses and cars, and everything is going to be pretty darn normal. Some people with bipolar disorder are not going to have that kind of life. Some people with bipolar disorder are going to live their best life, but are not going to be able to work because of the illness. Maybe they have to be on disability because of their illness. But that doesn't mean that it's not their best life. And that doesn't mean that they're not fighting and winning this disorder. <laughs> These people are having wonderful lives. They have loved ones. They have reasons to be here. They are helping people. So whatever your life looks like, and it might be different than other people's, might be different than mine, that's okay. You can still fight bipolar disorder and you can still have a great life. Absolutely. And Natasha, where can people find you? You can find me at natashatracy.com. Of course, my book is available on Amazon, and I'm also really prevalent at healthyplace.com. Find me any of those places. Come drop by, say hi, leave a comment. I love it. Awesome. Well, really do appreciate your time. You're such, such an inspiration. You know, I'm glad I recently found you, and uh, I've actually read some of your articles, and 
uh, your post and I follow you on Twitter now, which I think you have like over 20 or 30,000 followers. Really, really thank you for the work you're doing. You know, I want you to keep it up and you're really inspiring, not only inspiring people's lives, but generally helping them. Thank you so much. I really appreciate you saying that. Um, sometimes the work is really hard, yeah. but there are um, huge, great benefits that I see. And um, I really appreciate your words. Thank you so much. <laughs> okay. Take care, Natasha. Thank you. Bye-bye. I loved interviewing Natasha Tracy. She was my first interview of the new year and the first person I talked about uh, bipolar disorder with. And she gave a lot of insight and a lot of misconceptions that people do not know about bipolar disorder. I want to spend a few minutes just to go over three takeaways I had from the whole interview. The first interview is, if you have bipolar disorder, don't just get regular help. Don't just go to a general psychiatrist. Go to someone specialized. Not only someone who specializes in helping teenage kids, but someone who specializes in helping people with bipolar disorder. Because if you go to someone who is just general, they might first misdiagnose you, mistreat you. Um, they won't be as helpful than someone who has gone to schooling for this particular topic. Maybe going to a high school counselor might be a good start, but have him or her refer you to someone a little bit more specialized. Second takeaway from the whole podcast interview is you're going to be okay. Natasha said that if she can go back, she did years and years of self-harm. She wanted to die. She was fell into dark depression. If she can go back, she would tell herself everything is going to be okay. You can live a normal life by being bipolar. Your highs, yes, your highs are highs, your lows are lows, but you can manage these symptoms just like everyone else who has been through bipolar disorder. These are all people who are living a normal life, and sometimes you might not even know that they have bipolar disorder. But just because you're going through a certain challenge right now, it might seem like it's hard work because it can affect you in school, it can affect you at home, you can have emotional breakdowns, but just know that everything is going to be okay. If you get specialized help, if you have your family for support, if you have your friends, if you make an effort to try to get better, you will get better and manage these symptoms. The third takeaway is do not let emotion get in the way of certain negative situations. Let your logic do the talking sometimes. For example, Natasha gave an example of when you miss a bus, you know, you can you can you can go quick into getting angry really fast, beating yourself up. But and when you miss a bus, instead of getting angry at yourself, take a step back, really evaluate, okay, I miss a bus. What's the next thing I should do? Maybe I can get my parents to drop me off. Maybe I can get one of my neighbors to drop me off. But whatever it is, some things like this happen, and it's not a reason for you to beat yourself over it. You know, events like this can happen all the time, whether it's missing a bus, getting a bad grade, saying something wrong to someone. Sometimes you just have to take away the emotion from it and know that it's okay and to let your logic come into play and say, okay, this is what I'm going to do differently. So these are the three takeaways I got from interviewing Natasha. 
get specialized professional help. Number two, you're going to be okay. Number three, sometimes you got to not let emotion do the talking. You got to talk with logic. Those are three takeaways. Hope you enjoyed the interview. If you haven't done so, go ahead, download my seven quick and easy ways to feel better about yourself. These are life-changing tips that you can start implementing today if you're in this funk. So go ahead. The link is in the description. Download it. And until next time, peace.